Good morning. So welcome to Blue Lotus Radio this morning. And uh, it's time for Anna Kalima's talk again. And we have a very interesting topic this morning. Um, what is death? It's a real misnomer. We know, some of us know that it's a real misnomer. But does, does everybody know, <coughs> know the full implication of, of this misnomer? which we call death. It is um, the topic that was brought forward for discussion this morning. And, um, well, let's uh, see what, uh, what we said here. We said, what really happens when we uh, so-called die? Where do we go? What happens to our consciousness, our soul, our spirit, when we are no longer in the body? Um, why are we so afraid of this misnomer called death? So, welcome to Anna Kalima Talk and welcome Anna Kalima to this wonderful Wednesday morning. Thank you very much. Um, it's a wonderful pleasure to be here and represent the Great White Brotherhood and to our listeners. Also a very warm welcome um, and thank you for inviting me once again. Okay, so we're going to get go around, go get right into the topic. Um, so many people today are very fearful, especially in these uncertain times, about this death um, process. Um, some people are really looking into the. Uh, towards the end of their life and already looking at that process and wondering about that process. So, Annika Limo, where would you like to start to talk about this I, I think what is important here is to understand first what consciousness is or your, your mindset. It's incorrect to say mindset because, you know, your whole body is your mind. We've been very erroneously led to believe the mind is the brain. It is not the brain at all. Uh, the mind is actually the heart. In, in retrospect, if you want a location, the true mind of God sits in the threefold flame. Okay? So, um, if we speak about what is consciousness, then we must say, what is mind? What is mind? You know, we have this very common vernacular particularly amongst light bearers and those who are seeking to awake, we say, in my mind, I think, I feel, I do, I say this and that and that. But have you ever asked yourself, what is it that you think you are referring to when you say, in my mind? Where is this location? When you say, you know, in my mind, I really feel, whatever it is, what are you referring to when you say, in my mind, are you referring to a data bank? full of memory are you referring to a set of emotions are you referring to a set of feelings or are you referring to a set of biological components that do have feelings this is very complex because actually where none of these the soul has this experience of the five senses which when you ascend as I have given to you in other talks comes together through the third eye the third eye, as we understand it, is horizontal. When you ascend, it elongates. 
and moves straight up if you like the line of your nose right up to the very tip of your hairline in fact even further than that it goes right into the second fontanelle as most ladies know their little babies when are born have two fontanelles the main one in the very center of the crown and another little one towards the the forehead now that fontanelle towards the forehead is to do with the opening of the third eye it's the seat of the christ consciousness when the third eye opens and we start to see we also start to hear and experience because if if you are a student of the ascended masters you will understand that in the all-seeing eye of god in elohim cyclopean virginia uh, the eye of God both sees, hears, can smell, can touch, can taste, all in one movement. All five senses come together through the power of cosmic vision, which we refer to more correctly as the cosmic Christ. And St. Germain has taught us again and again, for the want of vision, man shall perish. And these words are written in the Bible. And why do we need vision? Because God is vision. God is the eye. Elohim in God, a cyclopea, is the eye of God. In fact, in higher occult teachings of the ascended masters, this great central sun is actually referred to as the eye of God. It is the eye of Horus, or the eye of God, or the all-seeing eye of God. We also have, as we have been taught in Buddhism, um, particularly by Blessed Kuan Yin, that there is an eye in both your hands and feet. There is an eye in the palm of each hand and in the feet. It's quite interesting that my little granddaughter, who's now nine, but when she drew this picture, she was about seven, it's about two and a half years back. Um, she was drawing from school hands, just the little hands. You know, children often want to do, they just put their hand on the paper and do a quick outline and then fill little pictures in there. And, now, I know that my granddaughter is deeply blessed and extremely clairvoyant. And what did she do? No one ever taught her. No one ever showed my granddaughter this. But she drew a hand with an eye in the middle of the palm and gave it to her mommy as a gift. And my daughter has it pressed up with a little bit of press stick on the wall next to her bed. It's been there for a few years. This incredible little hand. And in the center of the palm of this hand is just an eye, as the child would normally see it so in, in, in her pure um, child innocence, no one showed my Jenny that, yes, you know, that's a very advanced occult understanding to tell a seven-year-old child about Ralph. So where does the child bring this through? The child brings it through through divine memory. Why am I sort of diverting a little bit to this? Because, you know, in, in a conversation I was given this morning, um, shown uh, through certain training I'm undergoing at the moment that when you really come into contact with the Ascended Masters, when you start working very directly with the angelic kingdoms and mighty beings like, let's say, Lord Zadikil of the Seventh Ray, and we know that in truth these archangels are far more than what we understand an archangel to represent. Okay, we don't undermine the word archangel, but... Claire de Lee, prior to her ascension, gave many discourses stating that most of the hierarchy that we understand and have had given to us, in other words, like the seven charms of the rays and the Elohim and a mighty being like Arturus and so on, and some of these beings are so, so advanced that they're far advanced from the office they actually hold. They are over-advanced. They are so highly attained that they are actually, by grace, 
holding this office for mankind because they should be elsewhere in the universe. I'm talking about the cosmic universe, the celestial universe is not the physical matter plane, which includes what we understand very ignorantly as interstellar space and the intergalactic planes of the matter planes of the physical universes. Uh, people are very, very unfortunately caught up in astral teachings and whatnot and believe that if you go into space it's spiritual. <laughs> Ralph, there's nothing spiritual about intergalactic space or interstellar space. It's still a physical domain of the physical matter plane. It's as solid out there as our physical planet is. Okay, and the spaces in between the planets are still physical space. This is why you can measure, and I'm talking now from an astrophysicist point of view, you can start to measure the rings around Saturn, for example, because they are actually physical. They're not just bits of light going around the planet. It's a physical thing because they have actually been recordings you and I have discussed and which I was shown um, last year before the convention, which I shared with you, that they are... Um, extraterrestrial beings who have very, very massive spaceships the size of perhaps like the whole of our entire city of Gauteng on one of the rings of um, Saturn. They're busy mining there. What are they mining in those rings? We'll never know. Probably certain kinds of metal we have yet to discover on the matter plane which they use to build their semi-physical, um, they're not completely physical spaceships that they move around in. So let's come back to where we are here and, and what is death and what is consciousness. You can't discuss what is death if you don't know what consciousness is because you have to know what dies. What is it in consciousness? What is it in what you think you are? Are you consciousness only? Are you just a bunch of feelings? Is that the sum total of your soul, Rolf? So you're just raw consciousness. Well, if that's the sum total of what attainment is, then I don't want anything to do with it. We must be a little bit beyond that. We must be a little bit beyond just a massive experience of feelings. Whether they're good or bad or indifferent is irrelevant. I'm not the sum total of all that I've experienced in this embodiment. I have a soul that is highly attained. I have advanced initiations, so therefore my consciousness is beyond physicality. Now, ironically, what people don't understand and why they fear death a lot too is it's beyond physicality. Why? Because it's a portal. It's an actual portal which everyone carries within them, just as you have the third eye, and the third eye opens and you have a vision. What is that? And we're talking about a divine vision, please, uh, not something from the astral planes. And we have a, a vision, say, of Saint Germain, and we see Saint Germain. How is it possible for Saint Germain to do that? And, or any ascended being or angelic being or so on and so forth. How can we see them? Because there is a portal, there is a space, there is an etheric space in our consciousness that when the veil, when it so-called is lifted, very much like you get up in the morning, Ralph, and you draw the curtains back and you let the sun shine in. So when you draw the etheric veil back off the eye, which only the Christ consciousness can do, through angelic intercession, perhaps your own angel or those that you're guided by, you get a flash of light or a glimpse of divine image. Let's look at Saint Germain, okay? So that means it's another realm, doesn't it? It means there's another realm of experience. And we know just by epiphany and spiritual experiences and people who've seen visitations, say of Mother Mary and so on and beloved Jesus, as I did, that again that is a realm there's not what we understand as physical. How do we relate to this realm? Because it relates to death. You see, what people need to understand, Ralph, and what I have been trained in, 
is that your body quite naturally people say well yes of course my body is made up of the four quadrants of matter earth air fire and water therefore by nature the physical atom the atomic nature of mankind is elemental but what we must need we, we take that and we just ask my listeners put that aside for a minute and close your eyes when you're listening to me because it helps and then you've got to understand this and you say okay so we put the the physical construct of the atomic nature of the body aside for a minute and we look at something else. We look at our own soul forces as well. Remember I said to you a couple of talks back, we spoke about the soul being the solar ray or a ray of sunlight from the great central sun because the word soul comes from solar. So we are light, we are sunlight. And that consciousness through evolution becomes identified with our own unique pattern. So in that unique pattern of our soul identity, we enter the physical constructs of the atomic nature of the physical body. But it's not a matter of just like clothing. You put your clothing on and okay, I can go outside because I'm not in the all together and I can walk outside. There's something far more to it. You see, consciousness in the body is the whole of what earth, air, fire and water represents. So when we are told, Ralph, that we are all one in God, and that we are all one body in God, what again are we being referred to by the masters? And that when you move into Christ consciousness, you move into the all body and the one body, the Christ consciousness. Now we cannot occupy both. We occupy one or the other in, in the sense of the fullness of the word. So we either physically in embodiment or we in the retreats, we're there with the etheric Christ consciousness. Now I want to put this to you so that people can perhaps take a grasp of it and understand that what is commonly referred to as the collective consciousness of mankind, or sometimes the masters refer to it as the bulwark of mankind's consciousness, human consciousness, sometimes and of late, definitely the last 20-odd years or so, the masters have been referring to um, the density of mortal consciousness. Why? Because we've really kind of hit the bottom rung of the ladder in the way we think. We've, we've in fact, Lord Hilarion has stated we have incarnated as deep as we can possibly go without actually being physically dead itself because the body is now so hard. This is why all these sclerotic diseases are taking place now. The body is atrophying. It's actually becoming like stone. It's becoming like fossilized wood. And and in spirit, people think that the ascended masters are these wafery sort of floaty beings that float around and have no reality. This is not only childish, it's ignorant, and it is an actual insult to what the the great white brotherhood is about and it's a complete misunderstanding of science and the different levels of the physical planes of uh, physical embodiment so when you put on the human body you're born right you reincarnate you put on consciousness you put on the consciousness of the physical body your body has its own consciousness I'll give you an example, your natural instinct to stay away from danger, your natural instinct that you're not just going to walk off a cliff, the body is going to pull back on you. The natural instinct is, is, is if you're in the kitchen and the stove is hot, you don't just put your hand on a hot plate, your body will naturally flinch bef- as you get near that plate, you, you jump back. Why? Before you've even touched a hot plate. And the body is saying to you, oh, excuse me, I don't want to get burnt. Or please, I don't want to walk off the cliff or so on. Your body has its own consciousness, which people don't want to recognize, you see. It is the consciousness of the collective consciousness of mankind, of the matter plane. And we often um, identify with that and we think that that is who we are. We're not. That is not who we are. We are not 
the sum total of the collective consciousness of mankind. And if I might be so pertinent and a little naughty to add in here, that's what communism is all about. Communism states that that's exactly what you are. You are simply a mass total of consciousness that everybody is, and you either rise all together at exactly the same time or you cannot rise again. That is communism. It does not give man the independent arising in his individed state of God awareness. In other words, there's no hope in aspiration to rise above your station individually. And if we understand what the whole of hierarchy is about, meaning there is such a thing as hierarchy, there are beings that are ahead of other beings in the etheric octaves. An archangel is obviously quite a lot higher than an angel. All right, a newly, newly ascended master is not going to have the same height as, say, one of the Chohans of the seven rays and so on and so forth. There is hierarchy all the way up to the great central sun, all right? So, as above, so below. This is what we're looking at. Consciousness, Ralph, is the entire fabric of the matter plane. You take it all on in your body. You take it all on, and you've got to learn while you're in embodiment to assimilate the two. This is what a waking up is all about, is to assimilate your soul in the identity of your physical atomic structure apart from the bulwark of mankind. I'm not part of this mass sheep consciousness. I'm part of mankind, yet like the lotus that rises up out of the bracken, I can rise out of the bracken of human consciousness because I have a word that's very magic given to me by Lord Maitreya. It's called initiation. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's really a wonderful introduction. And I'm very glad you brought up this thing about the third eye and the eye of Cyclopeia because there's so much at the moment in the mainstream media about uh, the fallen uh, Masonic concept of the eye in the triangle. but uh, And that this is satanic. So... This is very good that you brought that up this morning because they've taken a very, very spiritual concept there. Yes. Something very, very deeply embedded uh, embedded in the human psyche, yeah. this third eye, and they've turned it into something which is, um, I don't know, one can say a fallen concept. So thank you for bringing that idea. And uh, the whole idea of different levels of consciousness of the body that, this, that is, people and that's what your seven chakras are about. Yeah, people don't know, people don't realize these things because they're not fully self-conscious. So, we are also in, in this program talking about waking up to mm. these various forms of consciousness. Most people's consciousness sits in the seat of the soul chakra or the sacral center just below the solar plexus above the, the kundalini. In fact, a lot of people are locked into the kundalini as well, the fallen aspect of it not its height, which is the um, opulescent mother of pearl light, the sacred fire of the Divine Mother, or the Omega line, the Shakti line that, that moves up the spine to meet the Alpha that descends through the crystal cord, through the crown, past the third eye and the throat and into the heart. And then there's that fission that takes place in union when the Alpha and Omega principle through the birthing of Christ consciousness um, is birthed in the heart. This is what the whole principle of ascension is about and also what the teachings about when Michael threw Lucifer out of heaven and the devil was wrath with mankind for he has but a short time. 
So why was he Ross? Because he cannot keep reincarnating. They have a very short time. For us, it's aeons and aeons. It's to do with the uh, 666 cycle. That cycle is thousands upon hundreds and thousands of years, not just 666 cycles. It's far greater than that. It's to do with the Kali Yuga and the whole enmity that the devil, and remember that the word evil means energy veil. The word devil means deified energy veil. In other words, consciousness in the energy veil, which is very dark. So what the devil really means. It's not so much that it's a personal being, but it is a collective of deified evil, a collective of the energy veil that is stagnant. It doesn't grow, and therefore, through the demonic forces, they enter into that, they embody it, and they appear as the characteristics that have been given as the proverbial devil. And I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the one with the horns and the tail and all that sort of yes. thing, okay? Yes. So at the end of the day, it's quite sort of a different thing altogether. Yes. You know, that's really superb. Okay, well, let's, let's take a short break, I think. It's time for a, a, a nice song. And then we'll come back to this topic.
So we're back again and we're talking this morning, first of all, about consciousness and how important it is to really um, become very aware of what consciousness is. And Anna Kalima was telling us about the consciousness of the physical body. So, Anna Kalima, continue. <laughs> yes, it's a very big learning curve too, because when you when you learn these things from the Ascended Masters, you don't just given get given a set of teachings and told, um, okay, A, B, C, D, and you say yes, A, B, C, D, and you repeat it like a parrot and think you know it. That's absolute nonsense. It's rubbish. When you are taught by the Ascended Masters, you have to actually become the teaching. You have to go through the initiation. You have to go through the, the stripping down and the breaking down of certain constructs of your own ideations, which are not in alignment with Ascended Consciousness. And you have to break it down. You have to remove it. Jesus said it this way. He said, it is given unto man to die once. And, of course, these have been distorted by... The fallen ones in the fallen aspect of Christianity and we're being told that we only have one life which is fraud it's spiritual fraud that's absolute fraud to believe it's also blasphemy to believe that you only have one life and to absolutely give your heart breath to it which you know Ralph you would be absolutely surprised that the bulwark of mankind still do believe they only have one life that's why they are so incredibly selfishly embroiled I only have one life, so let me live it to the full and blow the rest of you. That's really what that is about, you see, which is what they want. They want mankind to create god-awful sets of karma and situations to be godless, to be selfish, to be thoughtless about everyone else, because I've only got one life, and damn it, I'm going to live it, and you're not going to get in my way. This is the 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 the, the fallen statement of, of our times that we've been in, in fact, Ever have we been in on this planetary body since the fall of mankind, going back to the fall of Lemuria and even before, and on other planetary systems where we've been embodied there as well. So we come back to that poignant moment now and we say then, what is body consciousness? Body consciousness is made up of the four cardinal points of the earth. We call it earth, air, fire and water. We call it in the ascended teachings that we talk about salamanders, the fire aspect. The gnomes represent the earth aspect, the silks represent the air, and the undines represent the water. But if we take it even higher, we're looking at consciousness in water. Your whole consciousness rests in water. There's water in physical space as well. And there is very much water in the etheric octaves, because water is actually the body of the mother, and it holds memory. It holds the entire construct. Akasha is in water, Ralph. It's in water. The whole planetary body has a kind of ethereal water. The ethers are water. People think it's some sort of cloudy mass of something. Well, actually, you know, if you broke down a cloud, a cloud, sorry, it's water, isn't it? It's actually water. Yes. Yeah. So it's air and it's, it's water together and, and there's the salamander aspect that causes the heat up, the steam up, the steam yes. process, the expanding of the water. All, all your cloud is is the expansion of water into its gaseous state, which is oxygen. Yeah, so there, it's quite a, a thing that we have to overcome uh, this material, materialistic out, world outlook. Um, because if we don't really understand all these things we're talking about, and it's so easy to say, well, I'd rather give over the management of the world to some global, um, global 
government, government, government. That um, you know that the word government actually means God over man. And if we look at where mankind is today, where is God over man in government? It's not. It's a complete, absolute usurpation. It's been usurped. Yes. And and who's sitting on that throne? Who's sitting on the God government of mankind, which is supposed to be a representation of the threefold flame? The threefold flame, when you put it together, um, speaks of a throne, or three in one. That's where the word throne comes from. Three in one, it becomes one. Or the triunity of the Godhead becomes one. It is your throne, your threefold flame. Who is sitting on your throne right now? Who is sitting there? Are you sitting on that throne? Are you sitting in God government over your own citadel? Are you in your Christ seat, or is there something else sitting there? Good. So, Anakilema, maybe you can uh, uh, address a little bit more. So, you've spoken about the body consciousness, and you've spoken about um, feelings. And there are feeling, higher feelings, and then there are uh, emotions. So, that's a kind of a very personal thing there. And uh, that's another thing we have to become aware the, of the difference between sort of, uh, promptings in the feelings by the angelic world and your emotions which are to do with uh, personal frustrations and so on. You remember what I said to you earlier on, uh, Ralph, that emotion means energy in motion. So in a sense, emotion is impersonal. People say, my emotions, you're talking rather silly there because you're trying to earn something that's impossible to earn because emotions are the energy in motion of the entire construct of the universe. You don't own the universe, you don't own the boundary system of the stars, you don't own the very balance of Earth's um, orbit around the sun, because that's what energy in motion is about. Okay, but you own or should own your feelings. Your feelings are the response to the emotions that take place in the world. Everyone's emotions are highly charged on the planet at the moment regarding COVID. Highly, highly charged. They're very reactive one way or another. They're either believing or totally, um, thank God, rebelling against it. But there's a classic example of charged emotion on a planetary level, a planetary scale, because it's reaching that all over the planet now. People have now had enough. They know that it's a scam. They know what is going on. But now they've got to rally up and awaken up. It's not enough of just shaking your fist in the air and saying, I do not like this, because they're just going to laugh at you. Okay, you've got to rise up and do something about it. But you can't rise up in mass groups doing something about it if you haven't done something about it within your own soul consciousness. So you've got to start to awaken, fully awaken, and the word self-mastery is quite exemplary because you've got to learn on your own level to master your energies. What does self-mastery mean? Well, it actually means self-elevation, and that's interesting because the word salvation in Christ means self-elevation. Self, in other words, to do within. We're always taught that God is the doer. So when we speak of self-elevation, Ralph, we're actually saying that God, or I am, God in me, because I am is a little translation of self, or or what we think is self. Um, so we say, I am, which is God's name, or God in me is. I am doing this, I am doing that, God in me is doing. So if you say, I am doing this, you're saying, God in me is doing. Okay, so if you're saying, God in me is doing, then where's God? What is God? Who's God? You are God. We are God. We are God in manifestation. And we've been taught since Adam Finitum, this is going back thousands of years now, that um, we are less than God. 
Okay, we've been had it drilled into us like you cannot believe the whole story of Moses and setting uh, Israel or all that is real, the 144,000 free from the grips of Pharaoh, has never been more pointed in time as it is right now because Pharaoh has come back throwing an, an absolute tantrum of notes saying, no, I will not release you to Yahweh. I will not release you to the I am that I am. You are my prisoners. You are on this planet. While you are on this planet in embodiment, um, you are my prisoners. That's what they're saying because they were sent into the matter plane and they cannot ascend from it. So their whole trajectory and plan thereof is to bind mankind with them because in a sense, you know, this symbol of the fallen fist is a symbol of Lucifer. The shaking of the fist is a symbol of Lucifer. When he fell out of heaven, when Michael threw him out of heaven, that's the first thing he did. He shook his fist at God and he said, I will contaminate, I will permeate, and I will destroy the matter plane. Because remember, he was a very, like Michael, a very high up being with Elohim. And Elohim fell with him. Mm. And that's what they've done systematically through the physical universes, is going around to the various planetary bodies trying to destroy them, or the consciousness of the light bearers, mm. where we are embodied in the physical constructs of the physical universes, because there's many, okay, not just one little tiny planet Earth, there are many, 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 hundreds and thousands of them, okay, and billions of light bearers all over this physical, um, zillions, this, my granddaughter loves to say of light bearers all over the planetary bodies of the different universes that they are in. Yes, I find this, you know, for someone who's entering in might be a bit of a mouthful because you think, wow, now am I supposed to assimilate all this? You just listen. You just listen and listen again and let it sink in because sink in it will and how through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that I am doing it or you are doing it. It is the Christ constructs that do that within your soul that is confirmed through the Holy Spirit and then there is that moment where you will have some sort of awakening somewhere along the line which is the whole purpose of my work is to act for and on behalf in correspondence with divinity to help because I'm still in physical embodiment to bring about the seeding of Christ consciousness in mankind so that he can awaken and realize he's not just the body therefore when you know you're not just the body you can look at death differently Okay, it is given unto man to die once. So we've got to think about what that really means. And we know that in tremendous tragedies we can die without physically dying. Mm. Somebody dies and you cannot, they've gone now and they're going to reincarnate. And that's, that's the end of your journey. There's a kind of death in the friendship or the beloved or whatever takes place in your soul and you mourn the loss of that one. Mm. Or something you really wanted to happen didn't happen and dreams and hopes die and so on. There's many ways to experience death. But the actual death of the physical body is to do with the time capsule. It's to do with time, time and a half, and time again, because time is collapsible. Time is a physical construct. It's not ephemeral. It's not something that just, you know, we go through. It's actually a physical experience. Hence, you live, the man, the average man lives from naught to say the average person supposed to at any rate lived at least 75 years of age depending on diseases and so on that's a physical time construct that says i've got 75 years i've only got x amount now the fallen axiom is that that's all you've got you haven't got anything else yeah. they're lying to you it is one of the biggest lies that have ever been spawned by the nephilim and people buy it yeah so this whole thing about reincarnation and uh many lives is a, a key um, and that's why the Nephilim as you call them 
They, um, Nephilim is a Hebrew word, Ralph. It means fallen angel. Okay. So these fallen angels, I call them laggards, you see. Yes, that's also the same, but the laggards are an offshoot of them because they are their little minions, their armies. So yeah. the laggards are the minions of the, the Nephilim. They're people who are actually willing to do their work. Yeah, so they're trying to con uh, bind the consciousness of the yes. human being to the physical body and to one life. And uh, this is where the problem lies. And this is part of the problem why there is such a fear for yes. d for death. Because if you only got one life, what now? Well, now what? You know, I'm, I'm approaching the end of my life. I've lived my life as best as I can because I've enjoyed it. But now you feel subconsciously, whoa, here's something coming now that I'm not geared up to handle. You know, I, I, I just want to digress slightly because beloved Master Jesus has flashed through to me. You know, Jesus' love of the elementals and the elemental world is very, very intense. I have known from a little child my love for them almost consumes me. And I've had contact with them and seen them. They have appeared to me. Um, and... I want to just say something here because this is extremely important and I might be digressing and yet I'm not. When we go back in time, Ralph, to when mankind could see the elemental beings, which will go right back to the early part of the last 14,000 years and then back into Atlantis, the elemental beings, Ralph, only have one life. Why? Why do they only have one life? Because they don't have a soul. People are convinced that animals reincarnate. There is no such thing. They do not reincarnate because the animal doesn't have a soul. It is not fully furnished. The very fact that an animal has fur and not skin means it's incomplete. The fur denotes the astral planes. Okay, and very rough skins like your great rhinoceroses and, you know, beings. They are beings like that. Yeah, they have a incompleteness to them. A group, a group soul. Yeah, a group soul. They are incomplete. Yeah. All right. Now, animals, I've certainly had a lot to do with animals when I was younger. And I have definitely found animals have an absolute terrified fear of death. They are frightened of dying animals because they know life in the expression of their whole experience, whether like, you know, the life of the average cat if they looked after. It can stretch up to as much as 17 years. The animal really enjoys its life expression because it comes into contact with man. So in other words, it comes into contact with the Christ light. You understand me? Yeah. And when an animal approaches death, and I've experienced it with animals, they actually get very frightened about dying because they, they know instinctively that is the end of the live stream because that expression of that animal gets absorbed back into the group soul. Like in reality, I mean, this might sound far-fetched for some who are listening. In, there's archetypes. I mean, you know, this expression that people use of the human species is also an absolute insult and blasphemy to Elohim. We are not animal by nature. We are not animated. We have a soul. Because, but animals have species. The species of cat, there's only one cat there. There's only one cat consciousness, which all cats, whether they're big in the jungle or domestic animals, fall under. It's an archetype. There's an archetype for the horse. There's an archetype for the dog. There's an archetype for the giraffe. You know what I'm saying? There's an archetype for the whale and so on and so forth. And it belongs to one massive counterpart that is looked after. Like Prince Oromesis and Diana have the supreme and extremely seriously advanced office of all the salamanders, the fire kingdom, the etheric kingdoms. 
and to, to train and work with these salamander beings both within our own body and within the whole of nature. So there's a massive amount of what you call salamanders as well as the sylphs. Think about vast the areas everywhere. So it must be a very, very vast kingdom, the sylphs. And so they are, I mean, for instance, people don't realize that, that the cow is actually a gnome. The cattle are gnomes. Yeah. Okay, and they sacrifice their lives again and again so that we can live. And they have come through evolution as well. And it is a well-known fact, Master Jesus has taught this, that the, the gnomes, the beef, the cattle we eat, they sacrifice themselves for us. But they are actually gnomes. This is why, and if you went back into Vedic history in India, um, why the, the cattle is so, or cow, is so very sacred in India. Yes, it's linked to Lord Shiva. But what is really the truth behind what was linked to Lord Shiva in Nandi, the bull that is ever with Lord Shiva? What is really behind that? It is the understanding of the gnome. The gnome is a very lowly, very loyal, very lovely, very gentle servant of the Christ. Very gentle, you see. So what Jesus did, and it was fairly recent, um, probably in this particular century uh, that we are in now, and in the last hundred years or so, from what I gathered, in a sense, if one wants to look at it from a point of view of time, was Jesus altered one law, Ralph. He altered one law for the elemental beings and was to remove fear. And what he's done now is particularly our gnomes, particularly our the fairy people. Um, they only have one life, although they live for a very, very long time. I suppose you can say that for example, the elven people and so on, and these fairy people, each have an embodiment for sometimes as much as nearly a thousand years, sometimes 300, 500 years, but after that, that's it. Or when those eyes close, that's it. They move back, say, for example, into the realm of the ethers of the sylphs or whatever that might be, whatever realm that they are really initially from. He removed what is called the sting of death or the fear of death from them. Now, why have I mentioned that, Ralph? Because since the fall of mankind, the fear of death was transferred. The fear of death was transferred. Mankind took it on. The fallen consciousness of man. And if any one of you listening to me, and especially if you're students of the Senate Masters, take this into your nightlife and ask Jesus to verify it for you, he will. He will verify it there and then for you through the Holy Spirit. And this is what has happened. And then over the centuries and so on and so forth to where we are today, it's been played upon very deeply because it's been cunningly used against us. So the idea that we have only one life is purely elemental because the body is elemental. The consciousness of your body is elemental. Yes, the body has one life. The body must perish at the end of this embodiment. You leave it and you come back to a new body. So what you are experiencing is the fear of your own body's death. Your body doesn't want to die. Why? Because it experiences the Christ light in you. You redeem nature by bringing the Christ light into your consciousness. And because your body is of an elemental construct, therefore the elemental beings can receive the Christ light to the very nature of your own elemental body. But it is your body's fear of death you experience and you claim it as your own and you think it's your own and it's not. It is, you know, a classic picture Jesus gave me not so long ago. You know, it's, if we're going to talk, it's not macabre. It's only the fallen ones who have made it macabre. Let's take a look at this uh, medical term called rigor mortis. Okay, we know that shortly after the body dies, within a few hours or so, it goes very hard. It becomes very, very, wow, it looks like 
frozen in, in like a kind of wax model or something. Okay, very stiff and hard. A lot of <coughs> people who had uh, violent deaths, say like murder or something like that, or very uh, cancer, something very terrible like that, and they've not done well with the cancer because they've been very afraid of everything and afraid of death and so on. I'm sure you've seen it, I've seen it. A lot of people die with their eyes open. And a lot of people die with the most horrible looking looks on their face because it is the body's expression of the fear of its death. The body fears the death, not you. I repeat that. The body fears the death, not you. And therefore, you take it on. It's called projection. How much of your energy do you pour into your consciousness of your body and think it's you? Eventually, you've got a problem. You've got a slight pathology that starts to build up there. Because eventually you will not know the difference between your body and you. Mm. Your body will start to take on some of your consciousness. And you take on some of the body's consciousness. And you've got pathology there. You've got illness there. You've got a problem there. Mm. And that's why the fear of death is so afraid. And it is actually written into the body when it dies. You see the fear, the body's fear of its own death. Mm. Written in that terrible expression on the face with the eyes open and the mouth wide open. And the body looks absolutely aghast that its, it, its moment has come. It has had to go. But the only reason that body did that is because the amount of your energy you poured into it, believing the lie. You are entirely responsible for your body's consciousness. You either gain to redeem it through Christ or you're going to let it use you. And that's where vanity is born. That's where the mirror comes in and look at me. And we strut up and down, particularly when we're very young. Like peacock. We have these lovely slimline bodies and think we're just the greatest thing out. Wearing all these wonderful clothes. <coughs> Men, <coughs> excuse me, are included in this as well particularly the modern young men, all the funny hairstyles they have and so on, so forth, and all the modern clothes. Men wear makeup too. If people don't realize that, they do. Um, and I'm not actually talking about the pink community. I'm also talking about apparently so-called normal individuals. They do. And um, you've got a whole situation there, you see, and, and, and the ladies preen themselves with long hair, short hair, different colored uh, dyes and so on and so forth and makeup and all the rest. I'm not saying to anybody by any means don't take care of yourself and don't feel good. I'm not going there today, not at all. I'm just saying there is a line you have to draw between how much you look into the mirror and believe that what you're looking at is you, how much attention you pour into what you believe is you. And the more you pour your life, spirit, blood, energy into what you believe is you, you're creating something, Ralph. You're creating false hopes and beliefs that that body takes on. And then you, you know, people say, I've got this disease. You know, I've got this, I've got this. There's no getting of a disease. You are the disease. Because your mind is diseased. And therefore that dis-ease, if we break the word disease up, manifests in the body. The body mirrors your mind. All disease in the body is nothing but a mirror of the mindset of the individual. I hope this is not too advanced for people. But this mm. is the, the bottom end of the line of what death really is in its most apparently, and I say it with as much compassion as I can, macabre sense. Now you see, in, in countries like India and places like that where reincarnation is, 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 is not only just something you accept, it's, it's part of the rice they eat every day, they don't even think about it anymore. You'll find that very few Indians who die enter into rigor mortis, they die in peace because they know they're not the body. Uh, they've conditioned themselves their whole life long. I am not this body. Therefore, who's in charge? 
It's the same as the horse and the rider. Who's in charge? The horse or the rider? Are you going to train that horse? Or is the horse going to ride you right out of that paddock and break free and run over the fields of life? That's when you have people who just do what they like and don't care. Is anything making sense? I think this is a, a really wonderful teaching you've brought here this morning. And... Uh, uh, I certainly hope that people listening don't just reject what you're saying because this is extremely important to really separate these things off and to think about these things in the right way because so many false teachings about this really exist. So I thank you very much, Anakalima, for that particular line of thought right there. Let's uh, have a quick break and we'll be back very, very shortly. And so we are back, and wow, and that was a very interesting line of thought there, Anakalima. So this is a really interesting, so uh, everything has been constructed in the world for us to really be blind. Our thinking is blind, it's not a cognition that is full of vision, it's uh, we are blind. And so this is why we have so much fear of death. Um, I think that is a really interesting line of, of, of thought that you presented there. Um, Ralph, you know, let me put it to you this way, and I can try and get it as simple as possible in the teachings I have been given and assimilated. If we understand the Ascendant Masters to some extent are great 
immortal beings, immortal meaning no longer subject to death, or the cycle of reincarnation. As the master sometimes refer to call it death and rebirth. Okay, you have to keep going round and round and round. Um, when you look at the third eye and its elongation, from an ascendant point of view, it means you take in the whole of the eye creation. Because the eye then moves, do you know this, Ralph? That you have the two hemispheres of the brain, right? And then you have that line between the two hemispheres going right down to the abdullah oblong part of the back. Well, when you ascend, the third eye extends from your forehead all the way over your crown and down the back. Mm. And therefore, the whole vision on the forehead opens and you have complete 360 degree peripheral vision. Behold, I am everywhere in the consciousness of God. You're given back your vision, the Christ consciousness of the eye of God. Now hold that thought for a moment. Okay? Let's go back to this body consciousness and to the construct of the illusion called the ego. Okay? Now, why are we so afraid of everything? Why? Why are we afraid? Because we can't see it, Ralph. Why are we afraid of the sea? Because we can't see what's lurking in there. Why are we afraid of relationships? Because we don't know what's going to come out of the subconscious mind of the person standing in front of us. Why are we afraid of this and that? Why, why, why? Because we can't see. What can't see, Ralph? The ego can't see. It's blind. It doesn't have the gift of the sight of God. This is how you determine, this is how you begin to understand the, the, the natural isolation between your soul and what you've created. What you created can't see, therefore it's blind. And if you can't see, you're going to be afraid. You know what's coming for you. you can't see your enemy. Not within or without. Because sight is a two-edged sword. We are always told in meditation, look within. So the eye not only can look out, it can look in too. Mm. And the ego can't see, it's blind. Now the Bhagavad Gita was written in that way that the blind king of what was called the Kurus, which is the ego nature, and the Pandavas, which is basically ostensibly the Christ consciousness in mankind to be developed, are at enmity with each other at war. Because the one side is always trying to hook over the other side. Or in Christian terms, you have the little devil on your shoulder. It's another kind of concept, if you like. Okay? And the Bhagavad Gita is always written around the blind king and how he rules his entire kingdom, yet he's completely blind. What does he rely on? He relies on his sons to give him vision. What are his sons, Ralph? Your five senses. Mm. Psychometry, when you pick up something. I used to do that when I was a lot younger. I could pick up anything and start to read something about the person who had just recently held it. Because my five senses reported something to me, I could piece it together through my internal vision and see that person before me. That's all psychometry is. You see, to psychometrize something is not something unique to me or only certain individuals. We all have it. We just don't want to believe we do. Because the five senses are what? They're servants. They report. The neurons in the brain receive the messages and they translate it and transcribe it into the third eye and you get a vision and a feeling. Normally they are together. If they're not, be careful. And you can also sense whether it's good by feeling warm or cold. Sometimes you smell like when Mother Mary's around. You always know because it's an intense smell of roses. 
But have you ever been? I'm sure you have. I have. God forbid I have. Being where you smell something very akin to sulfur is a foul smell, very much like the match matchbox when you when you light the matches. I cannot bear matches. They are horrible things because of the sulfur. That smell is normally very lo localized to certain fallen consciousness, certain fallen beings. Sulfuric beings are like that because they ignite very easily, don't they? Just as you take the match and rub it against its own kind, what happens? Get a little flame. So it's the same principle, you see. So you've got to understand that the reason fear is so predominant in mankind is because he's blind. What did Jesus say? He said, I have come to make the blind see. And I've come to make those that can see go blind. Mm. I've come to make the blind see. Because you can't see, I'm going to make you see. But because you can see, I'm going to make you go blind. Stop looking outward, go inside. Mm. That's what he's saying, you see. But you must understand, wherever you cannot, wherever fear is, it's because you've got no vision. And the vision must be a divine report. Not the brain firing neurons back to you in a kind of transmitted message. Are you with me there? Yes. Vision is cognition. Cognition is divine understanding, if one wants a better word for it. That's what cognition is. It's to divinely or in spirit to understand. I was inspired is another word of saying I had a cognitive experience. Yeah. I could cognize, I could think spiritually in, in higher dimensions. That's really what cognition is, right? Mm. When we have cognition, we're very, very elated, and we call it epiphany, we call it miracles. Is it really miracles, or is that you're waking up to who and what you truly are, which is spirit? And that outside of your body, you are as tangible to the being standing next to you outside of your body as you and I are sitting in these chairs here in the studio this morning. This I can report because I've experienced it. I know it to be so. Man will perish for the want of vision, says Saint Germain. Why did he say he will perish? He'll die. There comes that word again. Well, why are we afraid of dying? Because we can't see. And if we can't see, we don't know. And if we don't know, it could be dark. If we don't know, we might not understand. If we don't know, we could be somebody's prey. Animals have that fear all the time, not being the prey of some other species. Whereas, unfortunately and tragically, mankind has descended to such a level that he does prey upon his own. So we fear being murdered, we fear being pounced upon, we fear being betrayed, we fear deception terribly, because we can't see deception. Hmm. You see. So there's quite a lot of fear around death then. Yes, because you, you can't see death in, in that sense, because, because death in itself is, an, uh, is a misnomer. Jesus said, uh, be of good cheer, for I have overcome. I have the keys to both death and hell. Mm. He overcame death. So what he's saying to you is that death is not real. It's nothing other than sleep. What people lose, again, please note this term, lose sight of, is they die every day of their lives when they go to bed. What guarantee do you have, Ralph, you're going to get up tomorrow? Yep, what guarantee do you have when you, ah, oh, that wonderful feeling when the muscles can stretch out in your favorite position on your bed where you curl up on your side or you lie flat out on the back or whatever but you're cuddled nonetheless and there's a oh, you usually let out a deep sigh and then before you know it, oof, you go to sleep and it's joy isn't it? It's actually joy you can't wait to go to sleep mm. and some people don't wake up the next day <laughs> oh, some people don't. but the point is some people get back into a body unconsciously mm. you see 
That is the little death. It's called the little death. Yeah, I think that's why I really don't like uh, an alarm clock because uh, that transition, waking up in the morning, always brings me very important um, feelings and very important dreams from the way I've been. And um, I suppose <coughs> we, we, we must become much more conscious of these transitions. You see, you see um, I have fortunately, because I have been a student of the Masters for over 30 years now, in the outside of my body, the external world and the, the, the manifestation of my being in matter plane, I have from very, very early trained myself when I wake up in the morning not to open my eyes immediately. Yes. And I have trained myself to whatever vision is given to me, I lie there quietly and I ask my Christ consciousness through my eye presence to seal, lock and hold that vision within my third eye so that I can work with it during the day you see and when you have it's like going to gym and you have not much to go to gym for and then you start to develop this body it's no different you're developing muscles you're developing a, a certain sense of vision you're developing a certain sense of awareness over many 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 years of hard work which I've done and now for me if I bring back if I'm given a recall it is an, as natural as when you get into a car, a manually driven car, you just simply put the car into reverse and drive out the, the, the driveway. Do you really look at your gears when you're driving? So it's the same principle. When I wake up, I keep the eyes closed. I recall everything. And then when I have given thanks to God that the memory is now locked into my external vision, I can then open my eyes and wake up. And that way I've expanded my awareness too. That way I've been able to bring back incredible realms of knowledge that I can during the course of the day and over a period of time can start to slowly assimilate and understand. Mm. That's a very important bit of information right there. To wake up but not just immediately open your eyes. And that's why you should not have an alarm clock or a, a radio clock that suddenly goes on because you tend to open your eyes and want to put it out. Yeah, well, that was done deliberately, wasn't it? Because the whole concept of the clock is completely distorted, and the concept of the alarm clock is to, to actually snatch you out of the, the, the etheric retreats, pull you hard down, like slapping you in the face into your body, and forcing all memory to go. And then people yeah. will say, well, if I don't have the alarm clock, I will never wake up. I don't, unfortunately, agree with that. Yeah. Um, I have again, and people say, well, that's just you. Well, you're entitled to believe that, but since I was very young, because I don't like the alarm clock, I don't like the feeling it gives me, I've trained myself to rely very deeply on Christ. And I, when I need to wake up early, I ask before I go to bed, please, I need to wake up at such and such a time. And so help me, God, I wake up at exactly the time I plan to. I did this this morning. Last night there was a, quite a lot going on that I had to sort out. And I asked, because I got to bed very late, and I said, please, I have the radio tomorrow. I need to get up and wake up an hour before and just have that time to have some coffee. And I woke up at half past six on the dot this morning. I don't have an alarm clock. And I've done that with all my work over the years. If I've gone to sleep, even in the afternoon, I look and I say, I can't sleep beyond two hours. Exactly on the dot, two hours later, I wake up. Yeah, we've got our own timing mechanism within us. I haven't had a long clock now for a very long time. 
and I will never go back to using such a thing. <coughs> so yes, if we come back to the concept of death, this all points to it. If you truly believe, and of course the fallen ones have been very subtle with their television and all the videos and things that you're watching in hypnotizing you to believe that you must just go and have a jolly good old gay life, go and do whatever you want, go and spend all your money you must have, bye 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 bye, sink yourself up to your eardrums in debt, and that's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be wonderful, and you're supposed to be going forward in life. And then we wonder why we burn out before we're 40. Why by the way, in the middle 30s we're actually having midlife crisis in the 30s instead of in the 50s. Because we've taken our life's energy and we've burnt it out. Because we've bought the belief there's only one life. You see, therefore, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well. So there's a kind of complete contempt for life. But you not see that in a lot of people? There's a contempt for life. Mm. Well, what's it all about anyway? I'm going to die anyway. Which is the fallen axiom. That's what. And don't imagine that it doesn't affect you because it does. You have to be disciplined. You have to be initiated to come out of it so that you can get past it and discipline your body and realize you have everything you want within your soul. <coughs> but you've also got to, in your training, the whole reason of taking on the Christ consciousness drop by drop through the Eucharist, through the blood and, and the body of Jesus Christ, is to transfer or transfigure your consciousness from the physical octave to the etheric. You do it while you're in the body. It's too late when you're up there. You do it while you're in the body. <coughs> <coughs> so essentially <coughs> what I'm putting to you now is that I'm hoping in, in, in listening to this I might have sowed a seed through the power of the Holy Spirit for you to understand that the concept of death lies in how much you relate to your body as being who you are and when you think, well, I am the body, you know, my body, this, my body, that, the concept of my body means you've already claimed it. My body does this, my body does that. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. The way we attach ourselves to the body is we become very personal, don't we? You know, well, that's the way I am. That's how I am in my body. Because we don't understand we're not the body, and the body has its own consciousness. And it's a supremely intelligent being. Otherwise, how does the body in general heal itself? The body can and does heal itself, Ralph. Because it's intelligent. Extremely intelligent. Don't underestimate the intelligence of the body. It's actually divinely programmed initially. Yeah, I think this brings up another subject, and that is that, um, you know, my wife is a teacher, and she uh, comes across a lot of people and interviews and counseling and more and more uh, she's coming across children that don't pray they don't pray yes. they don't um, go through a process in the same prayers to go to sleep and they, they don't therefore wake up um, in, a, in a kind of belief system that there is um, life beyond my sleep And the interesting thing about these children is that they, they live a lot, in a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear in the home, and there's a lot of fear with those parents, because they also they don't pray. 
And one of the things she does is to try and get them to pray with a child. Because if they pray, can pray with a child, then they're also praying. Yes. And a prayer is a really a big answer to overcoming fear. Do you, yes. do you agree? Yes, you see, prayer is divine telepathic interaction with God and the ascended beings and the angels. It's telepathic. That's what prayer is. As Jesus taught us, you go into the chamber of the heart and you close the door and you pray to the Father, our Father who art in heaven. Okay, where is heaven? Heaven is a state of consciousness within your soul. If it wasn't, how could you reach it? If heaven wasn't part of who you are in your soul, how can you reach it? Why would God give something that you can't reach? Why? Yeah. So, heaven must be somewhere. Where is heaven? In the heart. Because the heart is love. And heaven is love. And when children fall asleep watching videos, even if they appear harmless, nothing on the mainstream video television media is harmless. It is all planned. You know Elizabeth or Claire Lee gave the most powerful set of discourses which I spent a lot of time with earlier on in my career where she, through the divine revelation of great masters like Al Moria, etc., Saint Germain and so on and the archangels, gave the teaching of what subliminal advertising is, even down to which of course they're now being phased out and they're digital, but don't think it doesn't happen digitally because it does. In our day we had very much the physical magazine and everyone, especially the ladies, would rush to the news agencies to buy their physical in vogue and all these sort of things, these magazines and there were magazines for children and so on so, so, so what I'm saying is the subliminal advertising was in there too because the image you see on the paper or on the screen is not what you think it is and there's often distortions hidden behind it because we don't understand the nature of the pixel and we don't understand how many pixels are required to make up one image and that you can hide images inside an image and what you see initially is not actually what is there so this is what subliminal advertising even unto words is all about so we are programmed for quite something when it comes to being very stuck in our devices very stuck on watching videos and saying no I'd just rather go for the older ones because they're more well yes some of those older movies did have a definitely more there was definitely more meaning in them. It doesn't say there wasn't subliminal messages in them, because there was. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that brings up a whole question about <coughs> gesture. Because if you look at these movies, and if you look at um, in modeling and all that, there's a certain demeanor and certain gesture. And demeanors and gestures talk, they speak. And speaking is the whole body, not just speaking. But the whole body speaks. So, and if you look at what's, what kind of demeanor is placed in these movies or in photographs, only one kind, there's only one kind, and that is that um, I am a profound ego. And uh, so you are, do, you, are, you are being programmed to believe that you need to become this, uh, this profound ego. What do you think ego. the whole acting fraternity is based on? Why is there Hollywood, Bollywood, and others? all over the world. What is the actor? What is he doing? It's exactly the same thing. And now they animate those actors, but it's still the same thing. Yeah. It's in fact even worse. Ah, so no, I, I can go with you there. Everything nowadays in the whole movie industry is all based on uh, trying to um, um, emulate, emulate their ego, and the ego is blind. So how do you behave out of your blindness. 
We are having a wonderful conversation here this morning with Anna Kanima on Blue Lotus Radio. And uh, the topic, if you only just joined us, is about death and about fear. And uh, uh, there's so much fear around death and we're discussing all the ramifications around that. We're going to take another short break and we'll be with you in a, in a short moment. Step with heaven. 
And so we are back again. And uh, during the break there, we were talking about prayer as we ended our, our conversation about prayer. And we were just saying what an incredible thing it is for children to be able to say a prayer uh, a prayer before they go to bed at night. And if you don't, if the child doesn't, uh, if you don't teach your child, especially in the first seven years, if you don't teach your child to pray, then there's far too much fear there and they, the, the intelligence is stultified and they can't wake up properly and they actually can't learn. So it's not a matter of being religious and oh, the child can choose his own religion one day. That's got nothing to do with that. It's actually a need, such a deep need. It's part of the whole pathology and psychology of the child is that a need prayer. Yes, you see, prayer being telepathic report with the divine is a very natural thing. You have internal dialogue all the time, which you, in a sense, talk to yourself. Everybody does it. Really, that is actually part of your own telepathic communion, all right, um, with the higher self, what it's supposed to be. And when you sow the fabric of prayer into little children, because they have come directly from the spiritual world, it connects them there, keeps them there, keeps the link open. It keeps that divine bridge open through the angel that is always working in the archangel beside that child to bring in the interconnectedness between the spiritual realm they've just so-called left and entered into the physical body and the physical world with, so that there's no fear. And you'll find that all little children, regardless whether they're Buddhist, regardless of whether they're, they're Jewish, regardless of whatever they might be, um, even if you have no particular path but pray anyway just to the angels themselves, is usually enough to give a kind of foundation so that in life when you meet darkness, because you are blind, okay, in your world you might have physical eyes that see, but because you're blind, you are open to fear. I have given this story before, and I'll share it again. When I picked up my granddaughter a few years ago, from when she was still in play school, because so my daughter couldn't make it. We came home in some rush hour traffic, and she was chattering away next to me in in the seat, all strapped in there. The little thing she'd made at school. She was about five then, five six, around six years of age, coming up to approximately at that stage giving you an idea about her and I became very conscious of the fact that I was only half listening to her but I had to get through a very very big busy four-way cross robot thing so that I could get onto the main road that would bring us home being intense rush hour traffic you're just going to be very careful and I reached out to her even though I didn't look at her directly and I patted her little leg and I said to her my darling I'm not ignoring you I'm sorry I'm just I'm busy at the moment and she carried on and looked at me and she said, It's all right, Nana. You're looking with your uh, your heart so that your eyes can see. She said to me, It's all right, Nana. You're looking with your heart so that your eyes can see. And six years old? Who taught her that? Where did uh, my little girl bring that through? You're looking with your heart so that your eyes can see. So we have to look through our heart so that our eyes can see. What is the heart? 
Ralph, the heart is the heart of God. It's the heart of Christ consciousness. It's the heart of the Buddhic consciousness. It's the heart of the mother. It's the heart of the universe. How does the child find the heart if you can't pray? Mm. Prayer is instantaneously connects you to the heart. Mm. Now, you know, the hands are an extension of the heart. And when you put your hands together in the form of prayer, which is understood today as namaste, you're bringing the two points of your soul. You're bringing alpha and omega together, aligning it in the center of your chest where your heart is. Normally in Buddhist traditions, the thumb is extended out to touch the heart. But you have the alpha omega principle that prays that says, I am that I am. You're acknowledging your own divinity as well as you are acknowledging the divinity before you. If you're bowing to someone or if you're praying to God above you, you are saying through the power of Alpha and Omega that I am or God that is in me. Oh Lord my God. You bring the two principles of your being together in Alpha and Omega by putting the flat palm of the hands together in a form of prayer. And it's an arc. It comes in an arc because your arms form an arc around your shoulders and in front of you. It's an arc of light. So prayer mustn't just be, we'll sit down and have a chat to God. In little children, we like them to put their hands together because it's a demonstrative arc of will. It's an act of will to put your hands together, right? Because you must now constructively do something with your body. It puts them into alignment because the fingers, in the form of a flame, when the palm of the hands are together, point upward. So the hands represent a flame. When they meet together in the form of prayer, the two hands represent the flame of the heart, the threefold flame. They bring the five senses together, the five fingers, okay, into one divine point through the middle finger, which points directly up towards the third eye in the pineal gland. And it says, I am that I am. It's very powerful. And it brings the heart into balance and harmony. And it brings us actually into a form of humble repose. Whether we're kneeling or standing or sitting cross-legged often, because my knees don't gel so well anymore. Um, I'm not very good at kneeling, but I can still manage to sit cross-legged or in a half lotus for quite a while. So I prefer to do that than kneeling on objects. It's very painful because I've damaged my right knee. I'm only giving you this an example. I do pray like that often, but I sit cross-legged, upright, not not rigid, just upright in, in a kind of yoga uprightness. And I pray. As I'm doing now, my hands are pressed together. And I will pray. When I my personal sanctuary in my living quarters when I get up and I move around and I, I, I go towards my main altar, my own sanctum, the first thing I do is put these palms together and then what do I do? I bow before the altar. Am I really bowing before a physical construct and some divine pictures and perhaps a few divine statues and crystals? What am I really bowing towards? My own God presence within me. I'm acknowledging God within me. So when we teach little children to pray, particularly in the gesture of the hands together, it's very powerful. Now, a long time ago, this is going back perhaps into what, when I was definitely a little girl, so it's going back to the 60s and 70s and early 80s and so on. Little children still in the main knelt. Now, in most of the churches and in, in the monasteries, even the Buddhist monasteries, um, and I see they're doing it more and more today, the gesture of kneeling where the heel is open, so you kneel, whether you crouch down kneel or you kneel up, where you, you're kneeling 
you know your thighs are, are not crouched down onto your heels you're actually kneeling properly and you're kneeling perhaps you lean against your bed or whatever and you kneel your heels are open and you are praying the gesture of the heel being open is a form of the greatest form of humility and vulnerability before Christ because it means the sole of the foot is open to the power of the Christ consciousness that moves through your feet okay and therefore you must know that when every little child prays when you pray the first thing that happens because I've been shown this by the master one of the angels will take their sword and point it where to your left heel to mm. protect you spiritually so that while you pray in your vulnerability, the sword of truth of God will hold your soul in humility before God that you may receive his presence in you. It's another form of hallowing ground before you, which is why the form, this kind of penitence was used very strongly in monasteries and overdone and obviously abused in forms of terrible punishment and so on because you know, people do unbelievable things. But yeah, it's it's a very important thing to kneel before Christ because it forms it means the heel of the shoe, the foot is open. We talk of old Achilles' heel and how he was shot when Troy fell by an arrow that went into his heel and killed him. Why was the archetype so powerful of the death of Achilles? There he was this mighty, incredible warrior who probably had muscles that some men would die to own today. <laughs> Okay, and the physique to die for and all the rest of it, and the power over a sword and, and to sprint and run, and yet one sling of an arrow in the heel, he was gone. What was that meaning? And the heel that was shot was the right heel. In other words, his calm, his physical life. What was that all about? Meaning that his vulnerability was shown in one weak moment. And where was he found dead? In the arms of his lover. Because there was one lady he did love. Contrapoint contrary rather to stupid stories that he had 500 lovers and all kinds of rubbish. There was only one woman that he has ever loved. She was actually a slave and he rescued her and she then went crazy obviously when he passed because he was all she ever had. A little bit of romance here for you but at the end of the day the Achilles heel comes right down to this hour doesn't it? We often talk about it and don't know where it comes from. So yeah. We are speaking about vulnerability before God. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. It's very nice, lovely. I mean, I've also noticed that when a child prays um, and they hold their hands together like that and they say their prayer, they they immediately they want to be tucked in and they and they immediately ready to sleep. But if they don't pray and uh, are still watching television. And still listen to music and uh, all the rest. Then they're passing over on, on, the, th on the threshold of to, into sleep is disturbed, completely disturbed. And unfortunately you don't think that that's so important. Well, that's very important because if you um, disturb the threshold going to sleep, you wake up. With a threshold disturbed. Too, Ralph, the masters have taught time and time again and time again. It's because we don't understand the power of vision, okay, and how it affects the third eye. Do you know that just by watching one movie, it takes 14 days in a lunar cycle to work out of your body? Hmm. 14 days for it to be removed from your consciousness. And how many videos do people watch in a weekend and in a night? Mm. And we're wondering why people are mentally, emotionally collapsing and mentally, emotionally constipated and why children are breaking down. 
because they take up to three or four cartoons and animations before they go to bed. One animated movie, one movie takes 14 days. Listen, I tell you something from a purely biological point of view, just the fact that you, you and I, please, I speak universally to anybody, you eat one piece of meat, a fair size like a T-bone or something you're sleeping, do you know that that can take 14 days to work out of the body? Digestive, yes, from the physical matter point of view, but the process of meat in the body can take 14 days to leave the body. Oh, I can understand that very much. This is astrology I'm referring to. Yes, because you, you, you're not just eating um, uh, protein. <laughs> we seem to think we only eat protein when we eat meat, but we don't. We're actually eating the whole astrology, which is connected to that consciousness. Uh, to that form, yeah. yeah. So form has cons consciousness. Exactly, so your body has consciousness. Body has consciousness. So this is why death becomes a huge issue because the body itself knows it has but a short time. It has a certain amount of time. You might even have a shorter time because maybe you've got some certain karmas to pay off and say at the age of 50 you get some disease that manifests in your body from your karma and unfortunately it's, it forces you out of that body. So the fear of, of being told by the doctor, well, you've got ABC, is the sort of Damocles, oh my God, I'm going to die. Well, you're going to die anyway, but um, let's look at what it is that you're really afraid of. It's your body that's being given notice that it may no longer stay as it is. And because you have furnished the consciousness in your body so much, you believe you that body, the body believes it is you. The body itself believes it's you. Hmm. Um, so much we have to learn. Um, to be death, death in itself, Ralph, if I might put it this way, is not real. It doesn't exist. In fact, if we didn't live in the time capsule, how cruel would that be? Can you really imagine modern-day man staying in the body for more than at the very most some people do manage to get to perhaps 110 years old? And usually they're quite simple people who are very, very unconscious. Um, you do get the odd few today which are not, but they're normally in the Native American peoples and particular cultures like that which they are very advanced and they live for a long time for other reasons when we last lived very long periods of time was actually around about the time of when El Moria was in embodiment and you'll find that at that time um, which is prior to Jesus quite some time the time of Moses and so on people lived well over a hundred years of age then well over a hundred years of age then so in fact a person of, of my age I'm 60 would still be considered very young by their standards there, you see. Yeah, I, I mean, we take a hammering now because of our belief system. Our belief system does not support life. No, it support it life. supports fear. And uh, this supporting of fear is what we're talking about here this morning. So what other advice can we give to people to overcome the anxi anxiety in their life? You've got to, when I say got to, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, that in itself is a misnomer. But in the sense that as easily as a habit is formed, a bad habit. Okay, let's say you've never drunk coffee before and you drink it and somehow you think, oh, I want more of this, the habit's begun. Yeah. And before you know it, you're having two, three cups of coffee a day. Okay, so in the sense of learning to form a habit, we have to form a divine habit. This is how the masters teach divine habit of belief. 
a divine habit of faith and hope and a divine habit of actually studying his teachings. You know, the, the masters have often said that coming from the highest echelons of hierarchy, they say, study and be wise if you want to truly be initiated. Consider yourself to be wise when you study and approved unto God. In other words, to study is to receive the teachings both on inner levels and in the matter plane because all the teachings that have ever been written in books and all the teachings that come through in diamond streams and meditations are only half the teaching. It's only half the teaching. The other half is waiting for you on inner levels. They never give you the whole lot, ever. Not even in the profound works of Sanat Kumara. It's only half the teaching, you see. So we have to apply. We, we Just as you do if you go to university and so on, you have to apply so that you can be what? Initiated. So that you can start to learn and understand how, what cosmic science is all about. What cosmogony is really all about. What it is to ascend. What, is, what, what, what are archangels all about? What are the Elohim all about? What is hierarchy all about? What are the atomic constructs of the physical body in its cardinal expression in the matter plane? And if you start to really study and show an interest, don't say, oh, I'm not interested in that. I just want to know about angels. Well, that's a pretty nebulous statement because if that is your thinking, then you're not ready for the teachings. You're simply not ready for that kind of higher science. You have to be really ready for it. You have to have a thirst, a burning thirst. You know, Jesus himself, when he was on the cross, made a very poignant statement, which people have totally misinterpreted over these last 2,000 years. He looked up into the heavens and he said, I thirst. And what did the centurion next to him do? He dipped a, a piece of sponge into a bucket of vinegar and water, pushed it to his lips. Did he really thirst for the water there, or did he not thirst for the water of life? Did he thirst for the wisdom of his father? to understand the pure dynamics of what was really going on there and truly the essence of Maitreya's will in him. Jesus has another way of putting it this way. When he went to the woman in the, at the well, Rebecca, he said to her, give me to drink. Drink me that I am drinking thee. I've had this experience with Jesus. What does it mean, give me to drink? It's the same thing as I thirst to know of you. I want to drink you. I want to drink your spirit in to understand who you are. Oh God, give me to drink, Christ said upon the cross, that I may know thee. Mm. <clears throat> now that's wonderful. Thank you, Anakalima. That's really wonderful. So, so we have to have a thirst, Ralph. We have to have a thirst for knowledge, divine knowledge. Mm. Not this stuff called the Internet of Things. It's just data bank. Mm. It's got everything there that could ever possibly have been come up in the minds of men. Not all of it is bad. Some of it is very good. But what is the use of it? It's the same as Jesus said. Faith without works is dead. Just as the same as the body without the spirit is dead. When the body dies and you've gone, the body is dead. So if your faith doesn't have work, you can say, oh, I believe and I have faith must, but if you don't do something about it, don't bother. That's what you yes. say. I mean, your faith must... You, you have to express your devotion. It's a part of your soul that is needed, just like you need food and air and water. And, and you are devotional. A human being is devotional. And if he is not expressing devotion, then it's, uh, he's, there's a part of him that's not... In fact, in fact, it's been deprived. stated in, in the Bible this way. He's known in the Bible as Yahweh. Son Kumara stated about people who sit on a fence and dabble their toes in the warm water and he spoke to them about being basically like a waxen model. 
He said, I would rather you wax hot or cold. Mm. Otherwise, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So in other words, I'll even accept you with all your complete false beliefs that you're so passionate about them. Or if you're so hot-headed and so arrogant, I'll accept you as well. But don't sit there and do nothing. That's what he was saying. Don't sit there and, and just dabble your toes in the, in the warm waters of my spirit and do nothing about it. Because then, then what happens is you hunt with the hares and you run with the hounds. And you never give yourself to God. You never commit yourself. You like to taste, you know, it's like going to the smorgasbord. And you take a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit on your plate of this massive smorgasbord. Okay, and you want to taste God's fruit, but you, you don't assimilate the fruit. You don't do anything about it. That's what he meant. I'll spew you out of my mouth. In other words, you will just keep reincarnating. I want nothing to do with you. Go and work. Yeah. <coughs> I'm sorry. Yes, it's actually something to cough about. It stops you and it stops you and it really puts you dead on the spot and you've got to think about it. Think about what, what I'm saying. Think about what death really is. Death is cessation. You can say that when a car finally packs up, it's dead. The engine ceased, it's dead. It's given up. It has no more life in it. So why hasn't it got any more life in it? Where's the life? Where did the life go? Well, you are the life when it comes to the body. So when the body is dead, the life is gone. So you've got to understand what death really is. Is death really real? Then therefore, of course, the big question comes, is the body really real? No, it's not. It's just a garment you wear, which Jesus himself has stated again and again is nothing but clay. You know, there's this wonderful statement given by the Masters where Jesus states there, he said, But beloved, we were created in the Father as spirit, not clay. In other words, you relate to the body as clay. The body is clay, but that's not who you are. You are spirit, and the body is clay. It dies. Yes, uh, <coughs> coming back to this whole thing of devotion and prayer, if you don't pray, and if you don't have devotion, even if it's devotion towards art, then you don't you you tend to worship the body. Yes. You've got to worship something else, which is you, you experience through the heart. So this has been a very dis an illuminating discussion there this morning, and. Uh, I think many parents could learn something young. There are so many parents today who are struggling with their children. And, um, I mean, we've also heard of parents say, but my child doesn't have TV, my child doesn't have a cell phone, and look at him, I can't, I can't, I can't do anything with my child. And we simply say to you, but do you pray with your child? No, 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 we don't pray. In our household, we don't pray. Well, there you have it. You can remove all the things outside of you and uh, think you've done a wonderful thing. But if there's no devotion, well, heartfelt your, your, devotion. Your devotion, beloved, is your communication with God, with your higher self. If you cannot communicate with your higher self or God, then you lose contact with your higher self and then you don't know who or what you are. And then you don't have reverence for life, do you? You don't care. You don't respect most some of the most violent people in the world, who tragically end up in penitentiary systems, have had a kind of childhood where there's been no form of divine intercession whatsoever. For them, they've been dead from the moment they were born. 
and I suppose it's also true for an adult who is living in, in a lot of fear. You just have to learn to pray again. If uh, if you once upon a time prayed, if you never prayed, well, it's it's quite a new thing to learn. But you you then have to find the humility to actually approach the threshold of existence and speak to God. You know, if you if you notice, Ralph, this has been a flash through to me now. People deny God, left, right, and centre in various cultures all over the world. But let a man or woman reach a point where they might die, to perhaps a terrible car accident. What's the first thing they shout? Oh God, help me! You feel you're drowning. Oh God, help me! It's the first thing you shout. Oh yeah. God! So where does that come from? What's this? Oh God, help me! Is you dying or whatever the case may be? Where does that come from? You suddenly. From the depths of your soul, because you have had your mortality shoved right in front of your face, you shout out, Oh God, help me. Where does that come from? So I don't in myself truly support the idea that people are godless and faceless. I believe everyone has faith and hope and belief in God. It's just smothered over completely in some. And then some, of course, become very angry. Some become very um, skeptical, which you can't blame them from, particularly with the way the, the Catholic Church has behaved over these last 2,000 years and what they've done with so-called religion. It's not a wonder that people have left the churches and are very skeptical about the reality of God. And that, of course, is another story altogether. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Right, let's take another break and we come back to uh, the next part of our discussion this morning. Oh 
So we're having a wonderful conversation here this morning about death and anxiety and fear and many aspects around that. So I can, Kalima, so as we start moving our conversation now towards the end, uh, I can ask you the question, so where do we go? What, where do you go when you leave your body? Where do you go to when you die? What is the whole uh, mystery about the threshold and crossing the, the threshold? Well, first of all, you have to understand that Jesus stated, in my Father's house are many mansions, were it not so, I would have told you. There's not a nebulous something outside of the body, and that the body is the only house or holding or case for your soul. There are, as most people are beginning to learn and understand, the astral planes. There are 33 astral planes, there are 33 etheric planes. Only at the very top of the 33 etheric planes are the crystal cities of light. And then from there, there's still another 33 etheric planes going into the great central sun. So what are these planes? They're realms of consciousness, and there are activities, or as Jesus said in my Father's house, in other words, in the consciousness of the Father, there are many realms with which you may experience yourself. The astral planes are the beginning. The earth is actually part of the astral planes. We are in an astral plane now. This is an astral experience, astral being star, your star body, your emotional body. That's really what it is, you see. And when you leave the body at night, you will go according to your capacity of your consciousness and where your mindset is. Normally, most people who are very unconscious and asleep stay very close to the body and stay or go to astral planes where they will tell you, you know, I had such a strange dream last night, so weird. I was in this weird place. But, you know, it was just like here, but it was very physical. And, 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 because that's the astral plane. That is where they go because that's where the consciousness is. If your mindset is very bound into the earth plane, people who hang around bars a lot and drink a lot and smoke a lot and carry on, there are astral planes where that is quite available and they go and continue drinking there. Jesus made it very clear because his disciples said, Lord, what happens to a man when he dies? And Jesus said, if he's filthy, let him be filthy still. In other words, if your consciousness is still ensnared and wrapped in the astral effluvia, those realms that are astral according to where you are, you will go. But as you move into the teachings of Christ and into the Master's, you move higher and higher, like a winding staircase. You move in a spiral upward. Now, normally speaking, when you call into the teachings of the Ascended Masters, you have, unbeknown to yourself, in other words, outside of your body while the body sleeps at night, your soul is taken to the etheric octaves by angelic consciousness. You are taken there to the etheric cities of light, to the temples and learning centers there that are as physical there, and I use the word physical, but it's incorrect, but I will use it for the purpose of something I want to define. The Ascended Masters do not refer to the word physicality. They refer to the word tangibility because physicality is really too dense. But for purposes of definition, I will say they are as physical there as we are here. There are tables and chairs. You sit there, down and around there as well as here. If that's too much for your mind, you're going to have to meditate on it because it's, we've been so ingrained to believe this is it. That's all there is, is what you can see with your eyes, which is a lie. It's a lie. Again, it's the blind king. It's the blind ego telling you this is all there is here. Okay. Well, when you leave the body at night, eventually you travel and you do so well. Every night you go and come back and, you, and so on. It could be for years. And then suddenly, what happens? Bang, you come in, into the teaching. Someone passes the flame to you. Or you go and pick up a book in a shop or something like that. Suddenly you learn about the Ascended Masters. And hey, presto, suddenly it makes awesome sense. 
it's absolutely amazing you are piqued with interest you want to know more and more and more because you have been undergoing teaching and training when you leave your body at night so that you reach that that old axiom which is perfectly true to this hour when the pupil is ready the teacher will appear whether it's through the book instruction or directly from someone passing a flame and so on and so forth flame being the consciousness of the masters passing that flame um, suddenly there you are and then in your outer awareness of your daily life you're suddenly aware that you're connecting the dots between your spirit and the I am your spirit and the masters and so on and so forth this is how it works this is the relief from death this is the relief that although the body may only survive a certain amount of time whether you're in or out of embodiment you are connected to the great masters this is where you go your soul doesn't just float off in some silly bubble somewhere and then you wake up in the morning these things are nonsense there's a great practicality to spirit ralph which the masters try to bring about as compassionately as they can god bless mankind um to understand that it's not all ephemeral and wishy-washy and wizard-like and 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 the, the nonsense that people believe in as far as as the harry potter type of consciousness is you know flexing the wand and something appears and all kinds of nonsense like that it's far more practical than that and it grounds you it grounds you in spiritual ground which is not a physical ground you stand on it's the platform on which your soul stands on which is christ consciousness when you start to learn about the burning reality of christ when you experience christ consciousness when you experience the buddhic realm when you experience the power of divine love which is all of that uh, kind of wrapped up into one you should by rights slowly start to lose the tremendous grip that fear has on you regarding your death which we all have to face it at the end that there comes that moment where the body will no longer be available to us it will no longer be available to us because we are leaving a realm of consciousness we've known for a certain time but you must also understand that even if you live the ripe old 75 years you've had how many countless of embodiments so that record's written into your being it's not just one lifetime's experience it's thousands upon thousands of lifetimes experience of moving in and out of embodiment which becomes as natural to you as getting in and out of your car you, you understand what I'm saying so when you face the end of an embodiment and we're looking just at the moment at a natural expression you've come to the end of your life cycle you must then leave because the body is no longer capable of supporting you anymore it's deteriorating it's degenerating because why Saint Germain points it out, it's moved into the death cycle. Why? Because you believe in death. Mm. Mary was assumed into heaven. She didn't die. She went straight in. John the Beloved, his most beloved disciple, also ascended in the same manner. You see, And there are many ascended masters who have ascended in what we call the Immaculate Ascension or the Assumption into Heaven. It's not impossible. It's not impossible, it's just improbable in the sense of how diseased modern mankind is. Because you have to be really rarefied and purified and so on. Even saints who leave their bodies that stay kind of undecayed like Padre Pio for a long time still had to technically die. The body died in that sense, yet the body remained suspended in divine, if you may put it that way, animation. The vibration is so high. Padre Pio's, God bless this gracious ascendant master his vibration although he in his humility would never have accepted that because he was a very humble man that he was so high and the body couldn't die couldn't corrupt it was a christ seed christ light 
was so permeated into every atom and cell and electron of his being, couldn't die. In a sense, he's a little bit immortalized. And then that's why they keep them in these glass coffins and that and worship them because the power of the Christ blood emanating out of that atomic structure of that body is so great that they heal just by touching the glass coffin. There's a lot of you know, superstition around it too and so on and so forth. They've interred and then, then they have removed saints that actually never perished in that sense. And, and they have these, a lot of these bodies actually in, in the Vatican as well of saints whose bodies have never perished because the, the Christ light, the, the, the transfiguration was almost physical but not quite. Not enough to be completely assumed into heaven. Um, so the, it's very important what you're saying now is that um, this transition from life to death must eventually give way to the transition from life into ascension. Yes. So we have to actually ascend out of the life and death cycle. Yes. You have to overcome death in your consciousness, you see. I started because of my love of Buddhism and because I've worked in the, in, the, in, in Buddhist temples as well and lived as a lay nun as well with the great Mahayani wheel, okay, which is the more orthodox version of Buddhism, but it was still quite a profound experience. Um, since my late 20s, or since basically I came into touch with the teachings of the Masters, I started preparing myself for my transition, working with sometimes the Tibetan bardos or the Tibetan book of the, the dead and, and the living and so on and so forth so that I can, without any unreasonable doubt, because we will always have, even I do, we have doubt now and then, I know as I'm now approaching, approaching that, that day, that hour, um, I'm not going to leave my body in a state of rigor mortis. I'm not going to leave my body in a state of abject fear. I have no fear of death because I don't believe in it. I don't fuel it. I refuse to spend one iota, one oak of my energy fueling the belief of death. I haven't got time for it. I'm interested in living. I'm interested in the life of Christ. And I'm interested in emulating that Christ. That I can be that Christ too. Emulating the Buddha to the extent that I have the vow of the Bodhisattva. And so on and so forth. And the light of the mother. I'm so interested in it. I haven't got time for what is called death. Therefore I know when I go. I go with peace and joy in my heart. Because I know the body's reached the stage. Where it cannot support me any longer. And I'm very willing to let it go. I believe I have a very healthy approach to transition and I'm not saying it's the only approach and I'm not saying I won't encounter fear to some extent because this is my final embodiment and I know I will take my ascension. People can say, but how do you know? I know, just as you know that you know that you know. I know this is my final embodiment. I know I am going to make my ascension and I'm preparing myself for it because I have received the resurrection call of Jesus Christ in my consciousness. I am spiraling upward. Despite the little ups and downs in my life, I'm still spiraling upward. They have a greater sway over me, Ralph, than the negativity does. I'm always able to swing back because the power of Christ in me is greater than the power of defeat. No. Which is death. So ultimately, the goal of life is certainly not death. The goal of life is, in fact, to overcome death, to enter the ascension, and uh, to release yourself from the uh, cycle of rebirth. And that's the it's called enlightenment. 
Well, enlightenment and then the cycle into ascension, isn't it? You've got to have enlightenment. You've got to have those epiphanies, those defined moments. You've got to be enlightened so that from the initiatic point of view, you move up the spiral staircase, gaining more and more understanding, and the understanding becomes the way you live. It becomes an absolute fabric of your consciousness. But you have to overcome death while you're in the body. It's because we pour so much energy into death, we're afraid of the ascension. Because we actually subconsciously don't believe in the ascension, we believe death is greater. So we give, we bow down to it. And so we give it energy. Empower it. And then it becomes what it, what you created. Jesus said, Ralph, the last enemy is death. The last enemy is death. <laughs> of all the overcoming we have to do, all the self-mastery and so on, coming, overcoming habits and so on and so forth and so forth, all these things that are peculiar to us as individuals, no two are the same, always remembering that, okay, it might appear to be they're not. The last enemy is death. And the last enemy is always confronted in the ascension. Most of your embodiment. Yeah, it's wonderful that nowadays more and more people are talking about the ascension as a reality. Um, but I know that there's still many, many people who don't talk about it. So death is like a shadow, and uh, the ascension is the elimination of the of the shadow life, and that is what all human beings have to do. That is our task here on earth, and here on earth is a place where we can overcome it. This is the place. This is the schoolroom of overcoming the cycle of re rebirth and re and death. You overcome it with love and compassion. Because love is, is the antithesis of love is death. If there's no love, something will die. If you don't love the plant and nurture it, it dies. If you don't love and look after animals, they wither away and can die. If you reject a human being and never love them, and they're all by themselves, they can literally will themselves to death, as I've seen people do. They just curl up and die inside. And that's even worse because you die before you're dead so that you become what is known as the living dead. And you see these vacant souls walking around, doing the mandatory living, you know, looking after the body, going to bed, getting up, going to it, but they're dead inside. There's something in them died. And that is a death before the death, which is even worse than the actual death itself, because you're already dead. So one's got to be aware that there are very many levels of death, and the physical death is but the very last, and one that really is an absolute illusion. Yeah. So, Anakanema, um, <coughs> we've spoken now quite a lot about this this process and the ascension spiral we've now touched on. So, what we need to do is uh, slowly draw our conversation today to some kind of culmination or to some kind of summarization. Uh, so, uh, can you maybe summarize the most pertinent week because we've really spoken about so many interesting things today. Don't ever give up on your dreams because when a dream dies it's the beginning of your acknowledgement of death. Yes. When you give up on your dreams you acknowledge death. Oh, what an amazing statement. There we go. So, the, the first 
process towards death is to stop believing in yourself and allow world processes, mass consciousness to say, yes, you are nothing. That's death. It's a death cycle. It's the beginning of the death cycle. And the death cycle, like you have the vortex of the upward spiral into heaven, the death cycle looks like an ice cream cone. Except it's not ice cream that's going to drip out at the end of that cone. It's your life forces. And it's it's called syncopation, the downward spiral. So syncopate means to downward spiral. So you syncopate in the spiral of death. You move downward. It's very powerful. The same statement is, you know, when you're an initiate and you're moving up, 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 up. It's a very far way down, so as the, the saying goes. To fall down the mountain of your attainment is very easy, but it's very, very difficult to climb back up. Well, that's the same understanding. To fall down that cone to the very bottom of all your efforts, and you've got to climb up, that's death. You come through a death. So when you give up on yourself, which is your dream, you dream yourself into manifestation. You reincarnate because you have a dream to fulfill or a mission. When you give up on your dream, you're already dead. It's a matter of process until eventually it incarnates and manifests into the body. And the body dies too. The body simply mirrors the death of your own consciousness. Because consciousness can die as such. Not really, but as such. So death begins with the pro way you deal with life. Death begins with whether you're going to give up on yourself. You know, there are some people who have gone through unbelievable things in life and they come through. They come through very traumatic childhood. Or they come through a childhood where they are severely incapacitated, like that Norwegian guy who's got no arms and legs. Nick, I can't, he's got that amazing um, Norwegian surname, Rijavik or something like that. Now, now, Nick has one little stump on his left leg, which he has now learned to use to manipulate a very specially designed wheelchair for him. He's a born again Christian, that's fine. He teaches Christ wherever he goes. He's married. To a beautiful woman, he has had two sons with her. So no arms and legs. What did this soul incarnate with? That he can get up on a stage before thousands of people and waddle around on a platform with a mic strapped to his chest with no arms or legs. Because he's learned to waddle, he's learned to walk on these funny little stumps that's left of his thighs. He's learned to twist his body around. He's even learned to do backward flips. He has learned to swim. Ralph, a man can swim without anyone helping him. Now, this man to me brings tears to my eyes often. Here's a soul who's taken on two things. Obviously to pay off whatever karma and to face unbelievable challenges. And along comes a lady who says, I will support you in your challenges because I need to learn the opposite side of it. Because you see... Inside my soul, I've got no arms and legs. So outside of me, I experience that in by marrying you. I'm as actually crippled as you are, but the two of us together will heal. And they bring about these beautiful little boys who love their father. He plays with them. I've seen videos of Nick rolling around on the floor in the lounge, and his children totally accept their dad just as incapacitated. They adore him. He rolls and plays with them, and he plays ball, and he uses his head to bite the ball. Now you look at this man in your life and you think, here's a classic example of a man who has refused to die. And if anyone had uh, the excuse to die, he could have. Could have never become anything from the moment he was born from his mother. So what did his mother pour into him, Ralph? What did that lady, in the, what did his home, what did they pour into Nick? 
She didn't give up on her son who had no arms and legs. So she didn't die in her dream. And he didn't die in his dream. She taught him to pray from very, very early. He was extremely devout to Christ from as early as he could learn to speak. He now reads. He has a very special um, stencil stick that's been made for him with his computer. And he types with this. It's basically like you have these modern things where you've got the the, the stick and you can write on your, your, your tablet and so on. He's got that system. He does all his typing with his mouth. And he's fast. And his head's moving away there. It's like, oh my God. You know, you look at this. He types his own emails, this man. Oh, what, a, what an incredible story. So, so I'm giving Nick, and, and we're not many people who don't know about him, particularly in the Christian, the whole of the charismatic Christian world, embrace this man. But I've embraced him too, and when I read his story, I mean, I've got tears burning my eyes now. I actually felt so ashamed. I remember reading it in the Christian bookshops that we have here in South Africa. If I've got listeners overseas, we have a book called Christian Union Martyr, a book, sorry, a book, uh, a bookshop, and we have them in most of our our towns and so on. I'm sure you've got them overseas as well as that. And he's quite big in all these shops. He's, he's written several books. He's written several books, this man. I just won and made several videos and he teaches. He teaches all over the world. I don't know about COVID. Let's put that to side for now. Okay. And his wife worships him. They are deeply in love. She's learned to love this man for the soul that he is. She has to, well, they now earn the money together. But initially she had to keep the bread going in the house. And he started to study and he started to train and gave his life to Christ. And through all his public exposure, they are very financially comfortable. Look at the teacher Christ brought into the world in this man. He could have given up, he could have died. And no, he's married, he's got sons who he's teaching. These boys will grow to be the most amazing human beings. And I think anybody who truly meets him and he touches their life, if he doesn't affect you, there's something wrong with you. Because even me, with all I have and all the teachings that I have, with the masters, can sit down over a cup of coffee in, in the restaurant there and put my head down in shame and think, Dear God, please allow me never ever again to ever complain about anything in my life or feel sorry for myself or feel I'm dearly done for. When I look at this man and I look at the picture of his life and what he's attained, I think Nick must be in his 40s somewhere now. You see. And his face, you can see it in his face, right? You can see it in his eyes. This man is just just the living spirit of Christ. He's Christ and Christ again. He emanates light out of that funny, damaged little body. It radiates out from him. And yet he is completely unaware of the teachings of karma and reincarnation. So why is he in the, in the Western world like that? To teach them something. So I give Nick and many light Nick and, and women too who have these kind of deformities and so on and so forth for many, many reasons as well as just oh, what did you do in your previous life? There's far more to it than that. But I would like to share with my listeners and you that if you ever want to look at, at a, a, as an opportunity to overcome death go to a local Christian book and, and buy one of his books because obviously his pictures are on the front. Look him up on, on, on YouTube. You'll find him there very quickly. And look at him, and I've listened to some of his stuff. He's so inspiring. He doesn't punt heavy Bible punching religion. This man is an inspiration to life itself. So really, to me, it doesn't matter how we look and what we have or apparently don't have. We look into the soul and we say, how do I overcome death? By not dying to your dreams. By not dying to yourself. Because that's the first death. 
because then everything else spirals downward afterwards. Oh, that's amazing. So, Anakadema, uh, do you do you want to end on that note, or yes. you want to end on that note? Okay. So. We're going to then say goodbye to our listeners. Um, I just need to quickly tell you about uh, our telephone number for you to contact us. <coughs> if you want to contact Anakalema, you have to contact her through this number. And uh, also, if you are interested in Blue Lotus Radio or Blue Lotus University, you contact them through this number. And you, it's the number that belongs to Aniela, and her number is plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. So that is the contact number for Blue Lotus Radio, for Blue Lotus University, and the contact person is Aniela plus two seven seven two one seven eight. So we've had a wonderful morning of discussion and we've certainly spoken about the threshold and uh, prayer and sleep and dying and the ascension. And uh, these are all very, very pertinent teachings that we've received this morning here from Anakalima and as usual. I thank you very much for taking the time out to spend this time with us here in the studio and to uh, talk to us on Blue Lotus Radio. Thank you very much um, to everybody. I'd just like to say one thing. If life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. Okay, if life hands you a lemon, if that's your karmic expression and your economic karma, you can come through it. You can come through it by not giving in to death, by not giving in to defeat. Defeat is the first premise towards death if you accept it. Because defeat means that you give up. You feel defeated, you give up. It's a form of death. So let us not give... You know, death is the final moment of death. It's the final removing of the actual threefold flame from the body. But to get to that point, unless it is completely natural, in other words, you've lived a full life, and now it is truly time to go, when you die under adverse circumstances, it began somewhere in your childhood. Death is a very uh, slow process. Um, one of you know, Sanat Kumara himself said through clearly in the early days of their work, he said in a, in a, in a dictation that rendered me to tears, it was a very short one, and it was transcribed, and I read this and reread this and reread, and I cry every time I read it, because he says quietly there, because you feel the quietness of his magnificent omnice spirit and he says I am worthy to be thy God oh beloved it takes a very 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 long time to die because you are immortal thank you well there you go what a wonderful final thought that Anakalima has presented to us Thank you um, for listening to Blue Lotus Radio and thank you for supporting Anakalima Kalima's talk. Have a wonderful day and we now say 
and goodbye to you all.